Ethan is going to pass out our note sheet this morning. We are starting Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. You'll notice on your lesson that this is lesson number 40, but it's actually closer to about lesson number 60 because some of these lessons have taken significantly longer than one week. And this is probably going to be one of those lessons. As I was, I, I wrote this lesson, well, I don't have it on my notes, but I wrote this lesson about two months ago. And as I was going through it and reviewing this week, I was like, there is no way that I'm going to get through this in one day or one week. And so, with that understanding, my wife says I have a tendency to go too fast. In Sunday school, and you can't hardly keep up. That's one reason why we started using the, the wall. But with that understanding, I will try to slow down a little bit today. I will try. I just keep going. Then it's kind of hard to stop. But I will try to slow down a little bit and give you some time to catch up. But if you would, go ahead and open your Bibles to Mark chapter 10. We're going to read the first 12 verses in Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. We'll start with Eliza, and we will just read around the room. Um, Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. And he arose from thence, and cometh into the coast of Judea, by the father's side of Jordan. And the people resort unto him again, as he was wont to be taught them again. And the Pharisees came to him and asked him, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife and him? And he answered and said unto them, What did Moses command you? And they said, Moses suffered to write a bill of divorcement and to put her away. And Jesus answered and said unto him, For the hardness of your heart to look you is From the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. So then they are no more twain, but one flesh. Um, what therefore God hath joined together, let no man put asunder. And in the house his disciples asked again of the same matter. Matthew, verse 11. And he saith unto them, Whosoever shall put away his wife, and Matthew, and Mary, and another committeth adultery against her. And if a woman shall be put away her husband, and be married to another, she committeth adultery. Okay. So, I am just going to say from the very beginning, as we begin this, I understand that we have a number of people in this class that are not married. Um, just by nature of what has happened with the class. And so we are going to be, as we look at this passage, we are going to be looking at the subject of marriage. And I would encourage you, statistically, the majority of people get married at some point in their life. And so even if marriage is not on the horizon right now, and for many of you, it is not. It's something years down the road that, that really at this point hasn't even really begun to be considered. 
listen to what the Bible has to say and make some decisions about how you want your marriage to be. For those of us that are married, there is a number of truths that we're going to be looking at that will, following the biblical principles of the Bible, will strengthen our existing marriages. Before we do that, though, let's look briefly at Mark 10. In Mark 10, Christ handles another confrontation by the Pharisees. He talks to a rich ruler, blesses a group of children, and again warns his disciples about his death and his resurrection. In hindsight, as I read the Gospels, it is amazing to me that the disciples did not know and understand that Jesus was headed to the cross. It is very easy to see in hindsight because he warned them, in, I believe in Mark 8, in Mark 9, in Mark 10. And at this point, he's beginning to warn the disciples, hey, look, this is coming. But yet when it came, they were like, ah, what happened? How many times are we the same way, though? We have the Word of God, and the Word of God tells us how we are to live, and how we are to act, and how we are to work with people. And then when we do not obey the instructions of the Word of God, we're all surprised when something bad happens. In many ways, we're just the same with the disciples. Highlighted in this chapter are Jesus' teachings on divorce, the faith of the blind Bartimaeus, and a discussion again of what it means to be great in the kingdom of God. So highlighted in this chapter, and what we're going to begin looking on right away, is Jesus' teaching on divorce, and then we'll get to the faith of Bartimaeus, and then we'll get to what greatness is. As God created the earth, and the Garden of Eden specifically, He routinely stepped back from His work as an artist, would his canvas and said it is good if you read genesis chapter one just about and i want to say every day god stepped back from his creation and he looked at everything that he said that he had done and he said it is good when i was about elijah's age maybe a little bit younger my grandmother did oil painting and she began working with me and i began um, doing some oil paintings. And there was, there was always a point in time when we had to step away from the canvas and just look at the canvas. And look at the picture as it was developing on the canvas. On the canvas. And decide, is this, is this going the direction we want it to go? Are, are we making the paint strokes the way we want to make them? And it could be argued, it could be said that that's what Jesus was doing at the end of each day as he stepped back and said, it is good. But when God viewed Adam, his tone changed. Genesis chapter 2 verse 18 says, and the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him and help me for him. The only time that God said that his creation was not good was when he viewed his creation of man and there was no helpmeet found for Adam. The suitable help, me Adam, the suitable help Adam needed 
was found in Eden. The garden was amazing, but it wasn't fully paradise for Adam until God's work culminated in the creation of Eve. There, in the Garden of Eden, God performed the first ever wedding. And it was beautiful. Marriage is an honored institution, and it is still beautiful today. Sadly, in societies around the world, and Korea, Korea is no exception, that we have seen a deterioration of this honored union. I was reading, I believe it was Aryong News this past week, and they, were, they had an article about the increase in divorce rate here in Korea. I remember when we first came to Korea, you didn't hardly hear of divorce. Oh, it happened. It happened all the time, but you didn't hear a lot about it. That has changed in the years we've been in Korea. Yeah, it, it just, it was just like, it was one of those things we don't talk about. Korea had the lowest divorce rate in the world when we came here. About the highest in the world now. Yeah. We have sadly seen a deterioration in this, insti in this institution of marriage. It is, a it is a deterioration that is picking up steam as time goes by. I have talked with many young people, Eliza's age and into their 20s and early 30s, and the attitude here, the attitude in the States, the attitude around the world seems to be, why do I need to get married? It just brings problems. The, the demise of our understanding and acceptance of God's intention for marriage is not only a symptom of our times, but it's also a cause. Divorce is rampant. Living together before marriage is commonplace. And those who see marriage as inquidated or as an ancient institution that is no longer needed in today's society is growing in number. Civilizations, cultures, and communities are built upon the strength of the family. And as the family goes, so goes the nation. I believe that there is a reason why God instituted three authority structures in his creation. The family, the government, and the church. And the first one that he instituted was the family. Because the family structure forms the backbone, really, for all other, the, the other two institutions of authority that God created. As the family goes, so goes the nation. As the family goes, so goes the church. As the family goes, so goes the city. As the family goes, so goes the society. This idea of Marriage, this idea of the family is vital to the strength of any church. But there is good news. The reality is that the Bible holds all we need to know to build strong marriages. If you build your marriage upon the foundation of the Word of God, the Bible has all of the answers. It doesn't just have some of the answers. It has all of the answers. And as we follow his directions, we can have a little bit of heaven here on earth, so to speak. We can have a little bit of he heaven here on earth, so to speak.
In the text above, the question of divorce is brought to Christ. Although the motive for the question was not pure, it was designed to trick Christ and to cause him to stumble and to say something that the, the Pharisees would be able to use against him. It did serve as a great occasion for Christ to share some truths to help us understand his will about marriage. The question was rooted in contemporary culture and norms. But Christ's response reveals that we must go back to the very beginning to get his perspective on marriage. The typically fast-moving Gospel of Mark begins to pick up more speed in this passage. Much has taken place between Mark 9 and the first verse of Mark 10. It was during this time that he sent out the twelve to go into all the villages and preach the Gospel. Also, John tells us in the 10th chapter of his Gospel, he made a quick trip to Jerusalem and in the dead of winter and appeared at the Feast of the Dedication. Having spoken at that feast, he left Jerusalem and came with his disciples now into the area on the eastern side of the Jordan River, which Mark refers to as beyond Jordan. Having left the familiar and blessed region of Capernaum, Christ begins to minister in a region known as per Perea. In what has proven to be a rather typical response to the presence of Christ, we read in Mark 10.1, And he arose from thence and cometh into the coast of Judea by the farther side of Jordan. And the people resort unto him again, and as he was wont, he taught them again. Who among us does not need more teaching? Who among us does not need a review of what we have previously learned? As Jesus taught, the Pharisees approached him, yet in another attempt to trap him, and asked, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife? It was a good question. But it was posed by men with evil hearts and intentions. And so we, what we see here is we see a controversial ruse. Elijah, you did not advance it fast enough. Everyone needs more teaching and a review of things already taught. No, maybe you did pass that. Yeah, you did. Okay. Everybody needs more teaching and a review of things already taught. What we see is we see a controversial ruse. And he rose from thence and cometh onto the coast of Judea by the farther side of Jordan. And the people resorted in unto him. And as he was wont, and he taught them, and the Pharisees came to him and asked him, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife, tempting him? They were trying to trick him. Certainly the question of divorce needed to be dealt with. And it needs to be dealt with today in our churches. But in the interest of context, it must be noted that this question was intended to trip Christ up. To get him to say something that the, that the Pharisees could use against him. To cause division, not to deepen understanding. The Pharisees were not interested in Christ's teaching on marriage. They, wanted, they were interested in causing him harm. Causing his standing among the people to deteriorate. For something to happen that they could use against him. The Pharisees introduced a topic that was not only controversial, but it was highly political as well. 
Remember in Mark chapter 6, John the Baptist was murdered for his position on Herod the Great's divorce and remarriage. We, we looked at that in Mark 6, um, when we were studying back in Mark 6. The verbs used to communicate the questioning of the Pharisees indicate they asked incessantly, pressing Christ for an answer they were sure would cause him trouble. They, they, it wasn't just one question. It wasn't just the Pharisees coming up and saying, Hey, Jesus, is it lawful for a man to put away his wife? They were asking and asking, and every opportunity they got, they would ask. That's the indication of the verbs used here. The two prominent views of marriage were both taken from God's word through Moses, found in the book of Deuteronomy, in Deuteronomy chapter 24. And when a man hath taken a wife and married her, and it come to pass that she find no favor in his eyes, because he hath found some uncleanness in her, then let him write her a bill of divorcement, and give it in her hand, and send her out of his house. And when she is departed out of his house, she may go and be another man's wife. If the latter husband hate her, and write her a bill of divorcement, and give it in her hand, and send her out of his house. Or if the latter husband die, which took her to be his wife, her former husband, which sent her away, may not take her again to be his wife. After that, she is defiled, for that is abomination before the Lord. Now shalt not cause the land to sin, which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance. The primary source of confusion at that time was found in the words, some uncleanness. In Deuteronomy 24, verse 1. Those words, some uncleanness, could not have referred to adultery because the law was already clear on that point. If a woman was caught in adultery, the law dictated that she was stoned. It was a death sentence. It was punishable by death. But as to what it meant, the two views could be traced to two popular rabbis of the day. The followers of Rabbi Heel were quite lenient with their interpretation and permitted a man to divorce his wife for any reason, even the burning of food. You burnt my supper, so I'm going to divorce you. The school of Rabbi Shimei was much more strict and taught that the critical word, some uncleanness, only referred to premarital sin. If a newly married husband discovered that his wife was not a virgin, then he could put her away. The Pharisees thought that in answering this question, Christ would be forced to identify with one of these two groups. But he is, he is beyond identifying with the doctrines of man. You cannot put God into a man-sized box and make him fit. It just doesn't work. God is beyond that. Our victory is found in agreeing with him, not trying to put him into some theological construction that man comes up with. So, as Christ began, we see a um, controversial ruse, but then we see a compelling redirect. A compelling redirect. Even though this teaching of Christ, even though this, this, I'm sorry, not this teaching, even though this question of Christ was designed to trick Christ, Christ up, he took the question and he redirects their attention. In Mark 
chapter 10, verses 3 through 9. We're not going to read it for the sake of time this morning. But Jesus master, masterfully elevated the discussion from the opinions of men into the realm of thus saith the Lord. He took them straight back to the wall of Moses so that God's word could be the standard. He did not take them to the teaching of Eel or the teaching of Shemai. He said, what does the law say? What does the Bible say? He took the discussion straight back to the wall of Moses. And he did that so that God's word could be the standard. We have a problem if when we are taught, when we are questioned about a biblical issue or even a life issue, if we want to have a, a good result, our answer should always be, what does the Bible say? And that's exactly what God did here. Whether it's marriage, whether it's relationships between brother and sister, or brother and brother, sister and sister, whether it's relationships at work, whether it's how to live our life, whatever the issue is, the answer is always, what does the Bible say? And Jesus patterned that right here. By the way, God's word is always the standard, whether we recognize it or not. Controversies often arise in which pastors are asked to identify their doctrines by the name of theologians in the past. Pastor Utman has often preached on that very topic. While we're grateful for faithful men of, the, of God, we should be more thankful for a God that has been faithful in the past in the present, and will be faithful forevermore. God's word is always the standard. I have on my notes here that this leads up to a discussion that is under strict, strong attack today. The idea of absolute truth. God's word is absolute truth. It is not right, it is not maybe, it is not, it is black and white, it is right and wrong, it is absolute truth. Our societies around the world have tried to do away with the concept of absolute truth. Even in what used to be strong independent Baptist churches in America, there is a movement away from the concept of absolute truth. There is an absolute right and wrong. And we find that in the Word of God. Thinking that Christ would not get away with that response so easily, the Pharisees pressed further. In verse 4 they said, Moses suffered to write a bill of divorcement and to put her away. That was true. We, read the, we looked at the passage in Deuteronomy. But Christ elaborated, and Jesus answered and said unto them, For the hardness of your heart, he wrote unto you this precept. For the hardness of your heart, he wrote unto you this precept. His point was that God's will for marriage did not include divorce. Let me say that again. God's will for marriage does not include divorce. Divorce results from hearts that had hardened to God's will. I don't care what the situation is in the marriage. 
Divorce results from hearts that are hardened to the will of God. The reality of God's love hardly needs defense in the light of all that we've learned in Mark so far. But there should be no doubt that God is not pleased with divorce. Malachi 2.16 says, For the Lord, the God of Israel, saith that he hateth putting away, for one cover of violence with his garment, and saith the Lord of hosts, Therefore take heed to your spirit that ye deal not treacherously. To imply that God created an easy out to marriage could not be more false. God was not putting his approval on divorce, nor was he even encouraging it. Rather, he was seeking to restrain it and make it even more difficult for men to dismiss their wives. He put sufficient regulations around divorce so that wives would not become victims of their husband's whims. God was seeking to restrain and make divorce more difficult. To help them understand, the Lord took them all the way back to the beginning, before Moses' words in Deuteronomy, to an occasion in the book of Genesis. And we're going to stop right there for this week. And we will pick up with God's design for marriage next week. Let's go ahead and let's have a word. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you that your word is sufficient. Lord, we thank you that in your word we find everything that we need to live our lives as you would desire for us to live. Lord, as we look at this topic of marriage, as you were teaching here, as you were teaching your disciples and the people around you, help us to understand what your word says about marriage. In your name we pray. Amen. We will look at the rest of this lesson next week, but I am not going to try and rush through it um, to get it done.